devil does not fear big buildings. He doesn't fear churches with a lot of money. He doesn't fear churches that are in a great area in town. He doesn't really fear churches that are out there doing many good deeds. Not really. He doesn't fear that. But what he fears is churches that go into the prayer closet and pray. He fears every time he sees you or me headed down the hall to that prayer closet, that secret place, to pray. He fears a church getting the revelation on the power of prayer. That he fears because when we pray, his works are destroyed. He is driven back. His assignments are canceled. And Jesus makes headway in the lives of people. Shackles are broken. Chains are snapped. Darkness is turned to light. And people who are dead in their sins are brought into the life of Jesus Christ because people prayed. Somebody prayed over you. Somebody did. I want you to say with me, something powerful is waiting on the other side of my prayer. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, I'm going to talk to you about, guess what? Prayer again today. This is the third week, and I want to read to you one of my favorite prayer verses. I like it so much, I'm going to read it out of three versions because I want us to get it. It's very brief, but it is so powerful. It's the second half of James 5.16, so let's put it up there, and we're going to read now. And, and, and I want you to read with me since it's so short, and we're going to do three versions. This is the New King James, then we're going to do the New Living, and then we're going to do the Amplified so that we get what this is saying. Are you ready? Read with me. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. All right? Let's read the New Living. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is getting better every time we read. Now let's read the Amplified, one of my favorites. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Whoa. Now those right there are enough to make you want to pray, amen? So let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for the power that you have granted to your people, the incredible privilege of prayer. And now, Lord, I'm coming to you, and as I have prayed from my heart all week and for weeks now, that you will pour on this congregation, starting with the speaker, a fresh spirit of prayer, a fire to pray, the, the motivation and the discipline to pray. Lord, I believe that so many things are ours in Christ that we haven't yet obtained because we haven't asked for it. We haven't prayed. Now, Lord, I'm asking you to give divine revelation to this congregation as I minister today out of your word on prayer. As we look at what you said and what the Bible says about prayer, Lord, let divine revelation, let the Holy Ghost bring this home to us, that it goes on fertile ground, not dry ground, not hard ground, but fertile ground. And that our prayer lives are accelerated, enhanced, broadened, widened, heightened, and deepened. And I thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, now will you breathe an earnest prayer to God and say, Lord, strengthen my prayer life. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I believe God heard that prayer. Amen. Now, this is our third week of talking about prayer. The first Sunday, we just basically dealt on how God answers prayer when it's prayed according to his will. We've just dealt with very elementary things about prayer. But I'm going to talk to you about a kind of prayer today that Jesus talked about. And I'm I'm just going to call it honest prayer. Honest prayer. And when I say honest prayer, I mean real prayer. Not phony prayer, fake prayer, contrived prayer, memorized prayer. But honest prayer. Prayer from the heart. Real prayer. Because that's what real prayer is. It is not... Well, I've memorized this prayer, and I'm just going to pray it, and I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. But real prayer, Bible prayer, is when it comes from your heart, and you're honest with God. Can I inform you of something today, that that there's nothing you can tell God that will shock him? There's not anything you can tell God that will shock him. Anything you can tell God, he already knew it. Isn't it funny how sometimes we think we're informing God about something? But he already knows. There's not anything you can tell him that will shock him. There's not anything you can tell him that will make him walk away from you. God wants to hear from his kids. Remember that movie, E.T.? Remember that? Anybody in here didn't see E.T.? There was that one phrase, E.T., phone home. E.T., phone home. Let me tell you, you know what God's saying? Hey, Christian, phone home. Phone home. I want to hear from you. You're my child. You're my children. Now, Prayer is an incredible thing. It it is an incredible privilege. And if it can move the hand of God in situations where there is no other hope. Some of you are looking at a hopeless in the natural situation right now. You're looking right at it. You're looking at a giant. You're looking at an impossibility. And it overwhelms you. And it sits on you like an 800-pound gorilla, and you wonder if there is any answer, any way out, any solution at all. Well, Jesus said the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And that must mean in the place of prayer. The things that we can't do, that we can't accomplish, God can. The things impossible with men are possible with God. Prayer is the most powerful force on earth. It is more powerful than a nuclear bomb. It's more powerful than the greatest army. You know why I say that? Because prayer can move God to turn the hearts of the people who push the button. Prayer is the most powerful force on earth. Let me read to you what one man wrote about prayer. I didn't write this and I couldn't find out who did. But boy, did this person lay out the power of prayer. Listen to this. Prayer has divided seas, rolled up flowing rivers, made rocks gush into fountains, quenched flames of fire, muzzled lions, disarmed vipers and poisons, marshaled the stars against the wicked, stopped the course of the moon, arrested the sun in its rapid race, burst open iron gates, released souls from eternity, conquered the strongest devils, commanded legions of angels down from heaven, Prayer has bridled and chained the raging passions of men and routed and destroyed vast armies of proud, daring, blustering atheists. Prayer has brought one man from the bottom of the sea and carried another in a chariot of fire to heaven. What has prayer not done? Come on, everybody. Everybody say with me, what has prayer? Not done. 
Say it together now. What has prayer not done? No wonder the devil tries to fight you tooth and nail the moment you decide to pray. No wonder he'll throw a thousand distractions at us the moment we desire and make up our minds to pray. The minute we decide, I'm going to go in that prayer closet and shut the door, and I'm going to touch God in heaven, and I'm going to move his hand, and I'm going to stay there until I get blessed. Don't you know that's why the devil fights you? That's the one thing he will fight more than anything else. And so now we come to James' powerful verse about true, effective prayer and what it looks like. What does it look like? Now, I want to unpack what we read, the, the verse we read, so we can learn more about the kind of prayer that brings results. How many of you want your prayer life accelerated? How many of you really have had a desire to grow in your prayer life? Come on, tell the truth. And the Holy Ghost has been on to you about it, hadn't he? Because the Holy Spirit wants us to pray. Remember, when we got saved, a praying Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. He's a praying Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans, he prays for us. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. We need to realize that when we became children of God and his spirit came to live inside of us, it's what gave us a new nature. And that Holy Spirit living inside of us is praying all the time. He's a praying Holy Spirit. It might shock you to know how many times this week he prayed for you. He prayed for things you did not even know you needed. It says the Spirit searches the deep things of men. And the Spirit knows what we have need of way better than we do. And so he says he prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So when I, when I think of the way that Jesus dealt with Simon Peter, remember when he took Simon Peter aside and he said, hey, Peter, listen closely to me. The devil has requested to sift you like wheat. How did Jesus know that? How do you know that? How do you know, Peter, the devil has requested to sift you like wheat? How did Jesus know that? Because he knows all things. He knows exactly every move the devil makes. And he knows the assignments Satan wants to release against God's people. And so Jesus said, but, but, but Peter, I have prayed for you that you will not fail, that when you are recovered, when that your faith does not fail, and when you are brought back, you will strengthen the brethren. Jesus prayed for him before his trial hit. Now, that is a picture of what the Holy Spirit does for you and me. If Jesus prayed for Peter before the trial hit, then you can know the Holy Ghost because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are one. And so, if Peter prayed, or if Jesus prayed for Peter before his the worst trial of his life hit, then the Holy Ghost knows what's coming our way and he prays for us that our faith would not fail. And when we have returned, when we have come out of the trial, come out on the other side, we are a strength to the brethren. Same thing, same idea. So now James says, let me tell you about real prayer. He says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, in that verse, he gives us two conditions for successful prayer. That, that one, we pray in sincerity, and true, we, uh, or second, we be right with God. So the, the two conditions are these, that we pray in sincerity from our heart and that we are right with God. Those are the two conditions for great, successful, 
breakthrough answered prayer, that we are right with God and that we pray sincerely from our hearts, that we mean it, that we feel it. And I'm going to deal with that more in just a little bit. But let's deal with the first one. When a person is right with God and prays sincerely from their heart before the throne room of God, you're on solid praying ground. Now let me deal with the first one, right with God. Everybody say right with God. Now, that's what he means by a righteous person, somebody who's right with God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, releasing great power, dynamic in its working. So first, we must be right with God. Now, the New Testament recognizes only one kind of righteous person. Only one kind. Those made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. The New Testament doesn't recognize anything else. It recognizes right with God, It equates rightness with God or righteousness in God's presence with someone who has come to Jesus and his blood has washed us from our sin. Now, let me just take you to Christianity 101. It does not recognize the New Testament or the Bible period, a person made righteous by good deeds or pedigree or education or by being law-abiding and never getting a ticket The Bible never declares somebody righteous by their own good works. Never, never. It's never there. It's not there. You can't find it. It only recognizes the righteousness that comes upon a person when they place their faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when they go to the cross and they repent of their sin and his blood covers their sin. Then God looks at you and me and says, righteous. We are made righteous by faith in him, not by works of our own. We are never made right. If we were left on this planet for a million years, we would never achieve the righteousness God requires. It must be imputed, that is, reckoned to us by God when we put our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way You're ever going to really be in the place where you can go before the throne room of God and say, here's my request. God looks and he says, well, they're not here standing here asking me for something based on them thinking they are righteous because of their own good works. They are coming to me washed in the blood of my only begotten son. Therefore, I hear them and therefore I answer them. Amen? Let me read you some powerful verses on this. We gotta get this deep down in our innermost, innermost. Listen to Romans three. Now God has chosen or has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Now listen to verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read that again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's so good, I gotta read it one more time. We are made right with God. I want you to read it with me. Are you ready? Come on, everybody, I wanna hear all of you, not some of you. I'm gonna make you redo it if you don't all pitch in. Are you ready? I want us to get this, read it. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on. That's a very, very, very powerful truth. And he says this is true for everybody who believes, no matter who we are. 
Now listen to this verse out of Romans 1. This good news, meaning the gospel, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. How, everybody? By faith. Not by being good. Not by feeding the poor. Not by giving a bunch of money to charities. Not by being a good dad or a good mom or a good citizen or a good neighbor. None of that. None of that will ever make God look at you and say righteous. Only one thing does it. When we go to the cross and there is the shed blood and we say, Lord, I have so sinned against God. I'm asking you to forgive me of my terrible sins against God. I am a sinner, but you sent a savior. This sinner needs that savior. And I'm placing my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you've got a bank account. You've got a spiritual bank account. And before you do that, it is in bad debt. Oh, you are in millions and billions and trillions of dollars of debt to God. But when you say, Jesus, forgive me, he takes all that debt and puts it on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, and he takes his righteousness and reckons it to your spiritual bank account. And in one minute, you become a billionaire, trillionaire spiritually because God looks at you and says, righteous, righteous, righteous. Come on, everybody. It's good news. Come on. It's good news. It's accomplished from start to finish by faith. Listen to Ephesians 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Is that what it says? You can't take credit for this. Your salvation. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can brag or boast or strut about it because we have received our salvation by faith. It is a gift and nothing more. We didn't earn it. We can't buy it. We, can't, we don't deserve it. Listen to 2 Corinthians, and this is my last one. Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on him. Oh, my Jesus never sinned, but God put our sin on him. Have you ever thought about why he sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane? Have you ever wondered why he so dreaded the cross? Not just the physical pain of it, but he knew that on that cross, the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, were going to be placed on him. And Isaiah said, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us, laid it on him. That's when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because right then, God emptied our bank account that was in deep sin debt to God and placed it on him and took his perfect sinless life and placed it on us. But none of that is of any worth to us unless we individually place our faith in him as, as individuals alone. Jeff had to do it. Frank had to do it. Judy had to do it. Susie had to do it. You can't get there by grandma's faith. You can't get there by daddy's faith. You got to go to the cross yourself. (laughs) 
But look, Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on him. Then we are made right then, right with God because of what Christ has done for us. And if God left us on this earth, as I've already said, for a million years, we would never have been able to hear God say, righteous because of our sin. We had to lean on somebody else. Somebody said, Jesus, just to crush you, you better believe he's my crutch. I leaned on him. I allowed him to die in my stead. I allowed him to be my sin. I turned to him to be my savior. He took my sin. I'm the first to admit he's my crutch. Man, I'll take two of them. He's my crutch. What's yours? This is the kind of righteous person, James says, the fervent prayer of a righteous person, somebody made right with God by faith. Now, here's where prayer comes in. The moment we're saved, watch this, everybody. This is beautiful. The moment we're saved, a brand new communication line is opened up to us to the very throne room of God. Before we were saved, everything was horizontal, this way. We lived life this way. We were affected only by what happened horizontally. But when we got saved, Suddenly, there is a communication line opened up vertically. We are welcomed and invited to come into the very throne. Listen to what the Bible says. And so, dear brothers, now we may walk right into the very holy of holies. I'm going to stop a minute. Do you know what that meant to those first century listeners? When the writer of Hebrews writes to them and says, now... Now we may walk right into the very holy of holies. To them, all they'd ever known was the holy of holies in the temple and the high priest going into the holy of holies where the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God was manifested and only the high priest went in there once a year to atone for the sins of mankind and, and they tied a little, a little rope around his ankle lest he grieve God or do something wrong while he was in there and drop dead and they could pull him out so they didn't have to go in. And he would go in there and do his thing and come out. And he, he, was, he went to God for them. The closest they got to God was the high priest going into God's presence for them. But once Jesus died and rose from the dead and we place our faith in him, now we may walk right into the very holy of holies. Amen. Come on, everybody. Give God praise. Come on. When they first read this, this was astonishing. So you got to be kidding me. It was astonishing because now they didn't need that high priest anymore because they had a greater priest, a greater high priest. His name is Jesus. Listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 20. This is the fresh, new, life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us to let us into the holy presence of God. This is talking about prayer. See, the minute we go into the place of prayer, we, we, or in, even in the place of worship, where the presence of God fills the room, or we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts, that only was available in the Holy of Holies that nobody could go into, but now 
He has made a new and a living way. It's new because it didn't exist in the Old Testament. It only existed after the death and resurrection of Christ. And it's living. It's not a way to death. It's a way to life. It's a new way and it's a living way that Christ has opened for us to let us into the holy presence of God. And then he says in verse 21, since this great high priest of ours, Jesus, rules over God's household, let us, read verse 22 with me, let us go right into God himself. Amen. With true hearts, fully trusting him to receive us. Why? Because we have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. The blood of Jesus made a new and a living way. A new and a living way. A new and a living way. That's why you don't need to go to a priest on earth to confess your sins. We've got a great high priest. He's waiting for us to go to him with all of our faults, all of our shortcomings, all of our sins and mistakes and say, oh, Lord, please forgive me. And our great high priest says forgiven. He says, now, here's what he says to us. Now that you have been saved and born again, he he told his disciples in John 16 what he's telling us today. Now that you have been saved and born again, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask. Everybody say ask. And you will receive and your joy will be full. The new and the living way is when we go to God in the name of Jesus, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we are able to go right into the Holy of Holies throne room of God and have a hearing with God and have God say, all the promises of God are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first condition for answer prayer is being right with God through the shed blood of Jesus. Then you can pray. Amen. Isn't that good news? Now the second condition is sincerity. Sincerity. He says the effectual fervent prayer. Fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Fervent means you're sincere about it. Fervent. It means it's a heart thing with you. You strongly desire to see the prayer answered. It's a heart-driven, passion-driven prayer. You mean it. You're coming from the heart, not just your head, but you're praying from your heart. Oh, God, do this. Oh, God, move on this. Lord, please answer this. Touch my child. Touch my dad. Touch my mom. Touch that neighbor. Do something, God. You want it with every atom of your being. The entire person is involved in crying out to God for an answer. Fervent, the effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person. You know what this kicks right out the back door? Religious prayer. Religious prayer. Oh, God. We thank thee that thou art a good God. We pray that thou wouldest, shouldest, couldest do this and thatest. And, and it's all coming from here. You've heard them. It's all coming from here. Now, now I, I want to give some balance to the fervent thing before I go on. Fervent doesn't mean out of control emotion. I'm not up here teaching you or preaching to you that you need to be out of control emotionally. It doesn't mean screaming or wild gesticulations or gestures or acting crazy. 
Doesn't mean any of that. And it does not require eloquent words prayed in King James English. None of those things move God. Volume does not move God. Screaming doesn't move God. Jumping around doesn't move God. You know what moves God? Faith and passion. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe, number one, that he's there, that he is. And two, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And those are the grounds for prayer, for all prayer. When I go to him in prayer, I must believe that he's there. And I must believe he rewards those who diligently seek him. And if I believe he's there and I believe he's a rewarder, then I am going to pray my heart out. God is moved by sincere, heartfelt, fervent prayer mixed with faith. That's what moves God. It can be a whisper and it will move God. If it's mixed with faith and true, heartfelt passion, fervency, desire, you're in it. You really want this. This is something that God has laid on you. You are going to pray until something takes place. The psalmist said, oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. Does that sound like religious prayer? Not at all. Pour out your heart for God is our refuge. Pour out your heart. What's on your heart? My best prayer times are when I sit and listen to what's on my heart. And then I begin to pray according to what God has put on my heart. And I pray my heart out before God. I pour my heart out before God. I'm not playing games. I'm not playing church. I'm not praying because I think I should. I am, I, I am moved. Jesus said that the prayer that God answers is not some memorized, rehearsed prayer, religious prayer that we recite by rote with no real passion of heart or desire behind it. it happens all the time in religious places. He told us to avoid that kind of empty praying. He called it vain repetitions. Listen to what he said. And when you pray. Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, I want you to hear it out of another version. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. God's going to answer me if I just recite this prayer. Vain repetitions are when you pray the same thing over and over again, but there's no heart to it. There's nothing. You're not really involved in your heart. There's no feeling. There's no honesty. It's empty. It's mechanical. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. You're thinking about a million other things. Your heart's not in that prayer at all. Oh, Lord, bless me and mine and theirs and ours. Bless my day as I go out, and we're not even thinking about anything. We're not really praying it. We're just saying it. Praying it is not just saying it. Praying it is feeling it. It is mixing it with faith. It is coming to a prayer answering God in sincerity that I believe this is not going to be a waste of my time, but God's going to hear my prayer. One commentator said, these vain repetitions is to blubber nonsensical repetitions. Blubber, 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 blubber. I'm just talking. 
For instance, let me give you an example. The Lord's Prayer is a wonderful, powerful prayer. It's in six parts, and those six parts cover all of the real needs and issues of life. But there are people who just pray it by memory, thinking something's going to be accomplished by just reciting it. But no, when we go to God, if we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, oh, God, come kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. Oh, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. I need help. I need money. I need a job. I need provision. Lord, I'm coming to you as to a living God that answers prayer. But when there's no emotional connection, our prayers are lifeless and they're dull. God hears prayers on fire with desire. Amen? Isn't it the boiling water that cooks the egg? Does, does dry, wet wood do you any good? No, it's the wood that's on fire that brings heat into the house. God, give me a church on fire, boiling with the fervency to see God move. I'll show you some passion in prayer. Listen to David. Listen to the emotion. Listen to the passion. As the deer pants for streams of water. So I long for you. I thirst for the living God. I pant. I long. I thirst. Do you hear deep emotion in that? Do you hear some passion in that? Do you hear some fervency in that? I pant for a breakthrough. I long for the answer. I thirst to see God's glory break loose on this. You want to see passion? Watch the Super Bowl tonight. Isn't it funny how church people scream and yell, put cheese on their head? Go out in sub-zero temperatures and take off their coat, screaming, for leather, pigskin, to be carried from one side of the field to another as if their whole life and eternity and eternal destiny hung on it. If they can get full of zeal and fervency and red-hot emotions over that, what about Jesus is coming soon? It's time, it's time to get boiling hot for him. Come on, everybody. Now I want to close with this. He uses Elijah as an example. Elijah was as human as we are, he says. In the very next verse, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed, how, everybody? Earnestly, that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Here's his message to us. Notice, he talks about the miracle he received second. First, he wants us to understand Elijah was no different from you and me. He got hungry, he got thirsty. He battled doubts and he battled fears. At one low point in his ministry, he was so depressed, he asked God to take his life. He was no different from you and me. He was not some super saint. He was a human being just like you and me. He ran in fear from wicked Queen Queen Jezebel and wanted to give up his prophetic calling. He had frailties, weaknesses, failures, and regrets. And yet one man, in spite of all of his human frailties, got down in God's presence and he fervently, earnestly prayed. 
And it says that God literally altered the weather for three and a half years in order to deliver his people from the clutch of idolatry and Baalism, that, that horrible, vile practice of Baalism. He delivered virtually by one man, single-handedly, an entire nation brought it to its knees because one man prayed earnestly. And he prayed again earnestly after three and a half years of drought. And the skies filled with clouds and the rain fell in sheets. He's telling us, he's not telling us to go out and try to control the weather with prayer, but he's telling us, if you pray fervently, earnestly, as a born-again person made right with God, great and mighty things happen. Can we stand together today? Amen. I am praying that the spirit of prayer falls on this congregation, falls on me like I've never known it. I'm praying that all of us experience an uptick in our prayer life. Because you know what? What God has for us, we're going to have to pray it in. But once we pray it in and those skies fill with the clouds of revival, the rain of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're going to forget all of the struggle in prayer and we're going to rejoice that a new thing has been born. Amen? Can we lift our hands to God? Say, thank you, Jesus, for making me right with God through your shed blood. And Lord, thank you for making a new and living way for me to come into the Holy of Holies and have the audience of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I sense his presence here right now. See, you've been struggling in your prayer life. Let me encourage you with something. Keep on. Keep on getting down. Even if you get down and, and your mind goes blank and a million different things fill your thoughts and, and, and you have great struggle touching God, don't give up. I'm going to encourage you today. Don't give up. Say, Pastor, I go in there and nothing happens. Listen, it will because you have inside of you a praying spirit, a praying Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Go into the prayer closet. He's going to light you on fire. Can I just speak that over you? He's going to light you on fire. I'm going to say it to this section. He's going to light you on fire. I'm going to say it over here. He's going to light you on fire. It says in the Bible, he makes his ministers a flame of fire. And you're his minister. He's going to light you on fire. And you're going to begin to pray in a way that you never had before. Can I speak it over you? Can I just say it? You're going to begin to pray in a way you never had before. And you're, and you're going to look at the clock and you're going to say, I can't believe this much time has gone by since I started praying. And you're going to find a whole new grace and ability and gift and way with prayer. Prayer closet's calling you. Now let me pray, lift your hands and let me pray for you one more time. Lord, you see this congregation. I know, Lord, there are many things that you have for everybody in this room. You have things for all of us. But, Lord, we've got to take advantage of that new and living way. We've got to take advantage of that road that you paved out for us. And help us, Lord. I pray, I pray over this congregation and myself that, Lord, you will help us to avail ourselves 
of that new and living way made possible by the blood of Jesus. And the Lord, we will begin to see answers in our life that we've never seen before. Breakthroughs, answers, open doors that we've never seen before. I'm asking you to do it. Now pray, church, and say, Lord, help me to go into the prayer closet and shut the door and get with God in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today.